0: We just stepped on their face with a half boot and broke their nose. One,
1: two, three. Welcome to the Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, David Bethea, joined today by my good friend and fellow Hawk fan, Scott the Stat Assassin.
0: Scott the people, what's up? Just want to say hi. I am 35 later this year, so hit me up, Lakers. I'm looking for a long-term contract. <laughs> uh, are you willing to take the vet minimum? Sure, why not? We're coming to you today from the Fortress
1: Studios, and we're here to talk some Atlanta Hawks offseason because, Scott, we're not used to seeing Atlanta teams uh, absolutely slam dunk all over the offseason, but um, we did it. Like, this offseason has been phenomenal, and you tend to be a lot more critical of these kind of moves than I am, and I think even you were like, dude, these moves are awesome.
0: Yeah, it, it was a good offseason. Last offseason was a very busy much you know much more splashy Mm. offseason and it was an overall a good offseason last year but there were a few little things here and there you could critique right like i never felt great about the rondo part of things there was we
1: we both shared that thought like
0: uh you could probably do better for less and we were right yeah but you know by and large it was still good you know the the Akongwu pick last year I, i think both of us were always pretty high yeah. on, but not everybody loved it. And, you know, now a year later, I think most it looks people really are a little good. bit higher on it. than before. You had to talk
1: me into it because I wanted, I wanted, Haliburton. I famously wanted Tyrese Halliburton, which would have been a, which knowing we know about our backup point guard situation, it would have been a good pick, but looking at how our team is structured right now, Okamu seems perfectly suited to fill in for Clint Capella in two years and lose nothing and you're replacing a 20, at that point, a 29-year-old center that's limited with a guy that's probably got more upside offensively and has all the same skills defensively. And so, you know, long-term, big picture, it's probably the best move. But, yeah, but like you said, there was so much going on last year. This year, though, our entire offseason was a week and a half.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was short. And there's pretty much no, you know, none of the moves that were made are ones where – there's a whole lot of concern about them Uh -uh. right and Uh -uh. and we'll get into them we'll go through one at a time but you know the ones that we get to eventually it's like I don't know maybe this is the worst move of the offseason and you look at it and it'll be you know like a one-year deal for like a solid veteran player that helped you in the playoffs and it's like okay that's (laughs) if that's the worst move you're doing pretty well. So but. let's jump right into it. Um, we'll start with the draft. Since that was,
1: can you believe that was only a week and a half ago? Like, <laughs> that seems like it was forever ago. It was like, what, last Thursday? And we're recording this on Saturday afternoon, hoping our my, our, uh, our kids stay asleep so we can finish this. But uh, first, with a number 20 pick in the draft, we took Jalen Johnson. And this was a pick that's a little controversial for some people simply because of the way his career went at Duke. He had some weirdness where he only played, what was it, 12 or 13 games, something like that. Uh, Yeah, I think that's about right. Opted out basically because Duke sucked, and he was a kid that went to multiple different high schools, which you know is always a red flag to some people. Although it doesn't really matter because I mean Lamelo Ball went to like three different high schools and is an absolute baller. But some old heads like to hold that against kids. And just to give you a stat: six foot nine, two hundred ten. He's a combo forward. Uh, He was ranked somewhere as high as the ten, the tens, um, and into the teens coming out of high
0: school is that what you saw too scott Uh, yeah i think he might have just barely been in the top 10 in high school he was definitely you know a five-star kind of elite prospect and then sort of the consensus rank on him as a draft prospect was still somewhere in the teens like you saw him sometimes up as high as 10 on people's draft boards but most of the time it was kind of in the teens which is why getting him at 20 is nice right because you're getting somebody that was you know supposed to probably go late lottery you're getting him outside the lottery that's always a bonus that worked out well with uh, john collins yeah if i remember right and i know travis Schlink mentioned that he thought of jalen johnson as a combo forward yeah i i don't know yeah. i think he's i think kind he's a four it. yeah he's and four. i think he's more likely like play minutes as a five than he is as a three and see there's some like
1: Brad Roland, who we both love has taken the other stance. Like he says, he's, he thinks he's a four and only a four. Eventually he he does not think he'll be able to play minutes at the five, which remains to be seen, but just to give you the physical profile and why Scott says that for our listeners, Jalen Johnson, six foot nine, 210 pounds, the kids, I believe 19 years old with a seven foot wingspan. So just to give you an idea, he's the same size height wise as in Yeke Kongwu. And you think he puts on 15 or 20 pounds are basically the same size. So the reason for the combo forward talk is because one of the things that he does well is he is a very good passer. He is especially, especially dangerous in transition. That's where he's at his best. He's the kind of guy that can take a ball off the glass, go link the court, find an open three point shooter or finish, which is where you get the Ben Simmons comparisons. Um, He does not have Ben Simmons. Uh, athleticism. I don't think he does. first step quickness, explosiveness. I do not think he is anywhere close as good of a defender as Ben Simmons is, but Simmons also wasn't a great defender coming out of college because he played at the bottom of a two, three zone where he didn't have to do anything. And so he didn't really have his defensive potential unlocked until he got in the NBA and uh, some of the limitations for Jalen Johnson. He's not an explosive, explosive athlete. So just like with somebody like even like Ben Simmons who's a good defender he can struggle with really quick guards, you know, with his lateral movement. Um, he is very, very passive on offense. Uh, he's not a guy that's going to look for a shot unless it's a lob or it's in transition. And he did have a high turnover rate, which doesn't really bother me because that's just how ball handlers are. Uh, other thoughts, Scott?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned that I, I think he's more likely to contribute as a five at times than as a three. Yeah. That's not to say I think his <clears throat> best position is a five or that's what he really should be or whatever. Um, It's just that when you look at his strengths and weaknesses, I think, you know, his weaknesses are a problem if he's playing a few minutes at the three, but they're not so much a problem if he's playing at the five. Yeah, if you can't stay in front of wings, that's a problem. Yeah, and, and I think the areas where he's probably likely to be really good or likely to improve and become decent at, those are areas that really shine as a big man. Mm. and maybe are just kind of average as a three Mm. so you know we mentioned he's a big dude but he can kind of grab the ball and start things in transition well a lot of threes can do that right Mm -hmm. so this isn't a huge competitive advantage now if you can play him some minutes at the five and you have a five that can grab a rebound and start a fast break well that's part of how draymond is so good Mm. in golden state and the offense then obviously he's not draymond defensively not saying that right 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 but you have a guy that can grab and go and you can run some things you know at the top of the the key some passing stuff through him that's a really good contribution from a big man out of a three that's kind of whatever right and he's not a big shooter right now Mm -mm. and so Mm -mm. if the shooting is just going to be okay well that's a problem at a three it's not Mm -hmm. that big of a deal as a five, Five. right? Yeah. Defensively, he's a bigger dude. I think he's more likely to become a pretty good shot blocker than he is to become, and like a good rim protector, than he is to become like a lockdown wing defender. Yeah. So, you know, I think he's a four, but I think there's an okay chance he could, you know, have a role on a small ball five kind of lineup if he turns into the type of player he could be. Uh, I just have a hard time seeing him get a lot of minutes at the three, but I, sure, it's possible you could have a big lineup where you play like him and John Collins and like Gallinari or something. Mm-hmm. And you know, defensively, it's kind of weird, but it would be a fun offense, right?
1: And having said that, one of the issues that I have is the Hawks have one of the smallest front courts in the NBA. I mean, they go at center 610 with Capella. Backup center, 6'9". Collins, the real backup center, 6'9". Gallinari, 6'10". It's just a small front line. They don't have a single seven-footer on their team. Well, they just added one in Gorgie Chang, who we'll talk about later. But they already have a small front line. And so I think the reason I push back against him playing five is just because I'm like, no, not a small, another undersized five. But we know that truly in the NBA, if you have switchable defenders, unless you're playing Joel Embiid, you really can get away with it. With, with, with few exceptions, there aren't very many guys in the NBA that are true fives. Like, yeah, if you're playing Jokic, you're going to get put under the goal. But, I mean, there aren't a whole lot of guys that create those matchup problems. I mean, we saw that. And the Hawks beat a team that had a truly dominant center, maybe the most dominant center in the NBA. And the Hawks beat that team with their small lineup. So uh, you mentioned the three-point shooting also. It's deceptive. 44%, but he shot 18 three-point attempts in college. So, yeah. like, it's like no nothing. It's like it's, it's like he literally took one and a half a game. So it's a super small sample size. He's got decent shot mechanics. Decent reason to believe he's going to be an acceptable shooter. But like Scott says, he is very reluctant on offense. He's very passive, does not look for a shot, which is another reason you get some of the Ben Simmons comparisons. Just a few comps. I put his floor as like a Justice Winslow, as a wing that can play multiple defensive positions. He's versatile and can handle the ball a little bit, but doesn't really score. And then his best comp is being someone like a Lamar Odom or Andre Kirilenko kind of like right there like a sub all-star that can do it all swiss army knife type of player if he ends up being a better defender it's kirilenko ends up being a little bit better offensive player it's odom
0: so so one sort of interesting comparison i think for him and this will you know be pretty helpful i think or meaningful for hawks fans and it's not an exact thing but somewhat similar to josh, josh smith, smith yeah right They're not the exact same player. Johnson is not quite the same level of athlete that Josh Smith is. So meaning the dunks aren't going to be quite as high, quite as hard. He's not going to rack up quite the same number of blocks or Mm -hmm. highlight blocks as Josh Smith, but he's a good athlete. He can throw the ball down. Mm -hmm. You watch his highlights at Duke. It's a lot of dunks. It's a lot of dunks. And he he does get a lot of blocks. So he'll have some successes in those same ways. Um, The shooting is a, you know, sort of a swing skill for everybody in the NBA these days. Not as much of an adventure watching him shoot though. Golly, Josh Smith, you want to put a shot caller on it at three point line. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see about that, whether he has uh questionable decisions with the shot (laughs) selection, like Josh Smith, whether he improves as a shooter or not. And, you know, we mentioned the passing aspect. He's a better passer than you would get out of Josh Mm -hmm. Smith. But so for me, You know, comps are tough, so I'm not trying to nail the one where it's like, oh, this guy's exactly this this guy. But think Mm -hmm. Josh Smith, scale the athleticism back just a little bit and then throw in some passing. And then that's kind of about where he fits for me.
1: I like that. And uh, I think that one of the things we could see is I think he could become a really elite team defender more so than an on the ball defender. And you mentioned that because a lot of his blocks are really good weak side rotations. And so I think that could be a skill that he brings and rim protection, which is another reason why he could be a five defensively. And why I've also said someone like Ben Simmons, his future is as a unique five, like a Draymond Green five, I think is his best position in the NBA that can handle the ball. And you can play him with a backcourt that's got guys that can shoot, but don't have to handle the ball as much. And he's a role man on pick and roll. And I just, I think that's long-term Ben Simmons position I could see if Jalen Johnson doesn't develop a jump shot him having a similar role, if he becomes a small ball five. So, yeah.
0: Yep. And with the, go ahead. I'll say, you know, he was, he was picked 20 and the consensus number 25 player on yeah. people's big boards and mock drafts was Sharif Cooper, mm-hmm. who the Hawks picked at 45, not 25, free, but 45. Dude, he free fall. I, I really don't understand it. I,
1: Personally, and I've been hearing about Sharif Cooper since high school. He went to my high school, McEachern High School. So people have been posting his highlights since he was like a junior in high school. So I was aware of him. Otherwise, I probably would not have an idea of who he is other than when they played Georgia twice a year. But I've been seeing highlights and hype about this kid for a long time. and So I'm a little bit more familiar with this game than the typical uh, prospect. And it's funny, I only knew about five prospects in this draft, and the Hawks took two of them. So I was like, this is great for me. But just so you know, Sharif Cooper – uh, point guard out of Auburn he is a true point guard he is not a combo guard he is a ball handler elite passer one of the two or three best passes in this draft um average 8.1 assists per game 20.2 points he is a scorer also which makes his comps really hard because he's a rare combination of a guy who scores but doesn't shoot well he gets a lot of assists he's elite foul drawer, 8.6 free throw attempts per game, which you remember, this is a 40-minute game in college. That's a very, very high rate. Really good ball handler, really good creation skills. Um, People are kind of split on his defense. Some feel like he was Trey Young bad. Others feel like when he was locked in, he was a lot better than that, but he was just inconsistent. Some of the things that we saw on film, and if you look at breakdowns on him by YouTube channels like Hoop Intellect, absolutely will not take mid-range jump shots does not have a pull-up package, does not have a floater package, uh, only shot 39% from the field and 23% from from three-point range, which is abysmal, but over an 80% free throw shooter, which Scott, you and I both know, that's generally a good a good indication of how someone's shooting is going to develop. Very, very few guys that are good free throw shooters don't turn into good shooters in the NBA or at least competent shooters. And the last thing we have to mention, there's, conflicting reports on his actual size he's listed at Auburn at 6'1 180 but he went to the combine and measured 6'3 and some scouts are saying they think that's an error if he's actually 6'3 that dramatically changes to me his ceiling so is is that hair related yeah exactly and if you haven't seen Shreve Coop, he has a he has a uh Josh Childress caliber afro So I don't know if that was counted in the height, but there's, if you go to the official scouting website, it says six, three, that's what is on the books. But people that have seen him in person are like, there's no way. So
0: I don't know. I I think they just try and literally, they just try and smash it down. (laughs) And so there have been times before where people with, you know, a lot of hair and concerns about whether it added an inch or two because they were magically taller.
1: But one of the concerns would be he does not—he lacks length. His listed wingspan is six-two, which is n- basically no length. So comps for him are hard because there aren't a lot of guys that are guards that score well and pass well, but can't shoot. Usually, guys that can score well but can't pass can shoot. Like even like a guy like Colin Sexton who scores—he ha- he doesn't pass the ball at all. Colin Sexton can shoot, so comps for him were super hard. So the best ones I came up for for realistic comps for him were Brandon Jennings and Ty Lawson. And somebody said, Ty Lawson wasn't that good of a passer. I said, Ty Lawson averaged 9.6 assists per game and 8.8 assists per game in back-to-back seasons. Those would be elite numbers in today's NBA. And he was a penetrating guard that could not shoot great. And he was undersized, 5'11". So I thought that was a decent comp. He got pretty thick, though. He did. He was about 195 pounds by the time he was at the end of his prime. But he relied on basically first-step quickness, didn't have a lot of elevation didn't have the kind of twitch that someone like a De'Aaron Fox has when he finishes. And then I said his floor someone like an Smith, who people will literally play 10 feet off of because they know he won't shoot, but he can penetrate. And he's got a very, very high assist rate. So those are two possible comps. And so in saying that, I think that the realistic outcome for his career is either career backup point guard that develops and being pretty good or a low level starter.
0: Yeah. I think he's a, a really high end backup or yeah, a low level starter. Which, by the way, if you get that out of a second-round pick, uh, that is a huge win. Yep. Uh, honestly, that's what you really expect to get out of pick 20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people, you know, even people that are mostly just basketball fans, a lot of times are not well calibrated on what you're getting out of a, yeah. a draft slot with the NBA, right? You're not a, You're not expecting an all-star just because it's a lottery pick. Right. Most lottery picks are not all-stars. Mm-hmm. Like Mm-mm. 75% of lottery picks are not mm-hmm. all-stars, right? And so when you're selecting Jalen Johnson outside of the lottery, you know, getting somebody like John Collins or Kevin Herter, who uh, John Collins hasn't made an all-star game, has he? He's not. Right? And so both of those guys are good contributing players that are starters or high-end mm-hmm. backups. That's a huge home run when they were picked at 19. So same for mm-hmm. Jalen Johnson, right? If he is even flirting with being a starting caliber player, that's a big hit. Mm. And then Sharif Cooper, who we actually have pretty similar expectations for the outcome Mm. level, getting him in pick 45 is enormous. And especially as the Hawks start to become a really expensive team as, you know, her is going to get money in the future or from the Hawks or somebody, somebody and same and same for Deandre Hunter and Cam Reddish. They're going to get a lot of money from the Hawks or from somebody, somebody else. yeah. And all this is happening in a couple of years, right? So having the young guys like Akong Wu, having the young guys like Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper, who don't really look like they're going to be major contributors to this year's no, team. no. But in their second year, their third year, right, they can start to contribute and be ready to play. That gives you a lot more flexibility moving forward. And what you see is that, you can see the Hawks plan and Travis
1: links plan long-term it's Lou Williams is a one-year stopgap. Sharif Cooper hopefully develops. He's going to be put on a two-way contract. He already has. He's going to play a lot in college park when Lou's sitting out of back to back, maybe he'll come up and get some minutes, but you can see Lou walks and hopefully Sharif is ready to step in as your backup point guard alongside DeLon Wright, right? a combo guard who fits very, very well along with Sharif. And then if you choose, when you make a choice between Cam Reddish and Kevin Herter after this season, which is very, very likely, um, if you let one of them go, Jalen Johnson steps in as that next wing. So that's kind of in my head the way it works is you're preparing yourself when you get expensive to have guys that can step in and take the roles or some of these other draft picks because you can't re-sign them all. Nobody can. So Jalen Johnson steps in to replace one of those wings that's going to get paid, like you said, and looking at what wings got paid this year, we, you and I were already talking about how Kevin Herter is probably looking at baseline 18 you know if he has a season like he had last year no less than 15 but probably realistically 17 18 um that's not cheap and Kevin Herter deserves that I mean that's what Duncan Robinson got Kevin Herter deserves that and Cam would not get that much but even if Cam gets 11 uh, Jalen Johnson's gonna get paid way less than that so you just can't keep them all so yeah I I, I think that what we did and why this is so brilliant is Travis Schlank has already set our team up for what we're going to look like two and three years from now while still making us good right now, which is the hardest thing to do.
0: Yeah, that's the thing a lot of people want to do or what a lot of people say they're doing. And mm-hmm. usually you end up having to forfeit one of those to mm-hmm. maximize the other. Mm-hmm. And right now, at least based off of last offseason, last season, and this offseason, it looks like they've been able to balance both of those pretty well. And the basic approach there is not worry too much about fit and just collect some talent, Talent, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. how are they going to sign Gallinari? They already have John Collins. They can't both play together. Well, guess what? It worked out pretty well. You got minutes to go around, just give me good players, and we'll figure out a lineup based around their strengths, right?
1: And one of the things we've always said, it's kind of like the cliche in baseball, you can never have enough pitching. You say, well, you can't have eight starting pitchers. Look at the Braves, what happened to them this year with the injuries. And they're having to play guys that weren't even in their top eight at the beginning of the year and pull them up. It's the same thing in basketball. The Hawks lost what was like the third most games to the NBA to injury last year. And so when you added Tony Snell late on that trade for Dwayne Dedman and you're like, oh, that guy's going to be the 14th guy off the bench. He's not going to play. And then lo and behold, Tony Snell and Solomon Hill saved the February and March of your season by giving you quality minutes. I mean, you don't make that run without those guys. I mean, Solomon Hill started playoff games for this team.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and neither of those guys, right. Are, are great players or anything no, like that, No, but they were veteran players. that were able to give you some minutes without mm-hmm. just absolutely killing things. Yeah. Right. Can you imagine if you had to put out a Bruno Fernando level player? Exactly. To start exactly. games for
1: two months. Or Skylar oh, Mays. And or- I like him.
0: Yeah. But yeah, like a, a second round pick rookie. Uh, Those guys are not ready to win basketball games in the NBA, right? Mm -hmm.
1: So that's the future. Let's talk about the present. And the present is we just signed Trey Young to a very, very large contract. Um, The initial terms are five years for $172 million. Uh, Trey was given the 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 designated player contract, so he gets the fifth year. You can give that up to, I believe, two players on your team. Um, John Collins is a little bit different, but Trey is eligible for the Supermax contract if he makes the All-NBA team this year, because even though the contract was signed this year, it does not kick into effect until 22-23. So if he makes the All-NBA team next year, he's eligible for up to $207 million or somewhere in that range, over $200 million. It's a lot of American dollars. Trey, Trey will be going hungry anytime soon. So it starts with the first year at 29 million and basically goes up about 2 million a year, ends at about 39 million in 26, 27. When Trey will be only 28 years old, it can sign a second max contract, which will almost certainly be a super max, because I can guarantee you Trey makes an NBA team in the next five years, barring catastrophic injury. And with some of the other lead guards, they may be aging out. I mean, Chris Paul can't make it every year. I mean, <laughs> and uh, Steph Curry might, he's, he's a little bit younger, but these guys can't make it every year. But this was like the biggest no-brainer in the history of Hawks
0: basketball. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of guys that are obvious max contracts in the history of the Atlanta Hawks. So this one was easy, no negotiation, yeah. no fuss, no muss, right? Yeah. The, you know, same draft class as Trey Young, Kevin Herter, also extension eligible. Mm-hmm. I don't – if they do an early extension, it doesn't have to be done until like October or November or something. Yeah, something to have a wild. around there. Yeah, so – I'm sure there will be some offer and some negotiation. We'll see if it leads to anything. Last year for John Collins, he got an early offer for four years and rumored to be about $90 million. Mm-hmm. And he turned it down, You know, played out the season. There wasn't any real issue with that on no. either side. And then gets to this offseason and gets his extension and his actual restricted free agency year. And so it's five years and 125 is what he signed for.
1: And I believe the fourth year is a player option.
0: Yeah, the fifth year, oh, the fifth year is a
1: player option. Because I don't yeah. think that with him signing it past the extension deadline, I don't think he was eligible for a fifth year straight up. I believe that's how that works. Because I know I had posted some stuff. If y'all fall on social media, I'd post that he wasn't eligible for a five-year contract. And I'm not going to go back through and look at the CBA language again because it's super confusing. But I remember reading across that, and so I'm fairly certain that that last year has to be an option year. I don't think he can get five straight up. But – He did not get the max. The max would have been four for 125. And the way that works is 28 million is the max for next year. But you get an 8% um, raise every year or that's like 7.8%, somewhere like that raise every year. So the total value of a max contract for him would have been four and 125. So they spread it out and he essentially ends with a contract that's four for 100, which Scott, you and I both said, perfect. That's like the perfect number. Yep. But he gets the the fifth year option, so John can actually enter free agency at age twenty seven if he chooses to opt out, which is still well within his prime. Well within his prime to get paid again.
0: Yeah, and, you know, we mentioned he turned down four for ninety. There was yeah. a lot of you know the speculation from a lot of places was that it would take about four years, one hundred to one hundred and ten would be what it would take to kind of mm-hmm. get it done, yep. It ended up on the lower side, right at yeah, uh, presumably right at hundred. Yeah. Um there wasn't a whole lot of market and the, the free agency stuff for John Collins, not because he's not good, but because he's an expensive player and there weren't a lot of teams that had massive money, right? A, a couple of years ago, you had teams that looked like they were saving massive money for this offseason. And then you had Giannis sign his early mm. extension. And then you had guys like Kawhi kind of signal mm-hmm. that they're not going anywhere. So if you'd had a scenario where there was, Three, four, five four five teams sitting there with 50 million in cap space because they're hoping to get two hall of famers or maybe one hall of famer and an all-star. If you'd had that scenario with a lot of teams sitting there with a whole bunch of money, you would have probably seen somebody throw John Collins, a four year max offer sheet.
1: And this goes into a discussion that we'll come back to at another time that we don't have time in this podcast, but I asked you this question is, has the championship formula changed? Looking at what the bucks did, looking at what the Suns did, has it gone from having a big three or like a mega star big two, like the mega powers, you know, like Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan to have one superstar and then superior role player depth like the Bucks have? So like I would not call Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday, who's just been phenomenal in the Olympics, by the way, um, I would not call either of them role players, but nobody would ever call them superstars either. Uh, so, Giannis, superstar, megastar, one of the best players in the NBA, one of the three or four best players in the league. And then two really, really good NBA basketball players in Holiday and Middleton. And then just a bunch of good NBA players Peter Tucker, good NBA player. Excuse me. Uh, Brooke Lopez, good NBA players. A bunch of those kind of guys. Pat Content, good NBA role player. A bunch of those kind of guys. Is that the, is, and the question we're asking? Is can the Hawks win a championship with Trey being a superstar? And having just a slew of players that aren't 10s, but they're all 7s and 8s. And that's to be determined because, as you pointed out, there have been teams that have spiked doing that, but the Heat didn't win the championship doing it that way with Jimmy Butler and a bunch of really good players. The Suns didn't win the championship doing it that way. Is it actually possible to win a championship that way? And is it sustainable? So.
0: Yeah, and, and we know it's possible if, yeah. if Milwaukee is one of those examples. Yeah. Milwaukee's kind of a pretty high-end example because you I have agree with that. Giannis as multiple-time MVP winner, top-five player in the NBA, clear, obvious first ballot Hall of Famer, and your really good high-level starters next to him in Middleton and Holiday. Well, those are like multiple-time All-Stars, right? Borderline All-NBA players. Yeah, so if you have uh, an MVP-type player – Along with multiple other all-stars or all NBA types, then yeah, you can get it done. But the the one superstar approach, which can work and has worked, if it works out, it's getting to the finals once or twice and winning one title. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I'm sure that you know probably myself and most (laughs) you know long time Hawks fans. If you said, "Hey, we'll promise you get one title with Trey," I'd be like, "Cool." Done, oh my gosh, yes. Sign me yeah. up. Yeah. But you know, the, the multiple star approach, that's how you get multiple titles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, that's a, a whole nother team building conversation for another time. So Trey's back,
1: John Collins back, Lou Williams is one of the ones that we were questioning because you know, what's he going to ask for? And then one of the free agency moves that we brought up, excuse me, one of the other deals Hawks made was to trade for, the Delon right, someone that we brought up actually last year in our conversations about uh, potential moves the Hawks could make. He's a six foot five, young ish combo guard that is good defensively. He's a good finisher. He's a solid passer. He's just a good NBA backup, is what he is. He's a good NBA role player. And so the question was, well, with him in the mix, do you really need Lou back? And then lo and behold, we re signed Lou on a one year, $5 million contract, which to me is like a perfect value for what Lou provides. And that also made it very clear that uh, Sharif Cooper was going to be a G-League player this season. Pretty much locked him into playing in the G-League. So
0: Yeah, and, and Brandon Goodwin, right, is mm-hmm. is out, I believe, or has not yeah, been be re-signed at this mm-hmm. point. And so mm-hmm. before they re-signed Lou, there was a chance that they could, you know, re-sign Brandon Goodwin and he would get the – third point guard right. minutes or right. whatever and you know that's the Lou for one year five million instead of maybe keeping brandon goodwin around for cheap and a little bit longer that's one of those decisions where you get kind of go either way right mm-hmm. when you get the good Lou, man it's mm-hmm. way more than mm-hmm. you know five million dollars worth but then when he has an off night offensively you're I like you lot you're reminded oh yeah he's a little old for an NBA player yeah. and it shows up.
1: And so like you think about this now, think about the flexibility you have. Like you said, when you get, when you don't get good Lou, you had no answer last year. You ain't throwing Skylar Mays in there. You're, you're going to slide Kevin Herter over to the one as the ball handler in the second unit and hope it goes well. And that's when Kevin Herter is able to play with the second unit, meaning that you had DeAndre Hunter or Cam Reddish in the lineup. Otherwise Kevin Herter's having to run with the first unit. So Lou gives you the option of having him or DeLon Wright run the backup point guard position. You can base him on matchups. You can base them on who's hot. And again, DeLon Wright being a six foot five combo guard, that's truly a combo guard. He can play alongside anybody in the Hawks backcourt, Herder, Bogdanovich, Trey, or Lou, or even Sharif Cooper. If he's the third point guard that night when he's up on his two way. And so that signing is so genius because it gives you a guy that can play off the ball, hit threes. I think he's like a 37% three point shooter very good finisher, good enough passer to handle the ball. It's like the perfect person to slot in on that next unit. And that moving, that's one of those moves. That's not going to be splashy, but it just makes so much sense because it's a, it, it's, it's a connective tissue move for your team that connects your two lineups together and all the players in your backcourt, which is why I love the move.
0: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times people will talk about NBA team building and they say, strengths are what get you to the playoffs and then weaknesses are what get you beat mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Right. Which that's oversimplified and everything. Right. But on that point, DeLon Wright's one of those guys who is a pretty good offense player and a pretty mm-hmm. good defensive player. Yep. And that's mm-hmm. why you're saying he fits with so many people because he doesn't have any big, huge, you know, just mm-hmm. glaring flaws. And as good as Luke can be on offense, on defense, Ooh. sometimes, <laughs> It's an adventure. It's an adventure. And, you know, Bruno Fernando and Chris Dunn were the ones that got traded out in this, uh, I think it was a three-team deal for DeLon Wright. Chris Dunn defensively is outstanding. He's Mm -hmm. a better defender than DeLon Wright. Mm -hmm. But he has had so many struggles offensively that it can make it a little bit tough to put him out there unless you have the perfect lineup construction and everybody's healthy and you really get to pick and choose who's out there when, right? Delon Wright has a lot more flexibility. Yeah. So
1: when Chris Stone was bringing the ball up against Ben Simmons in the Philadelphia series, every Hawks fan was absolutely terrified because you were just waiting for the rip and the dunk because it just looked like Chris Stone was shook being after Ben Simmons, giving
0: him 94 feet pressure. It was like the only one that thought that. Tell me how was it well No, it was rough. I mean, it was weird because Cam Reddish missed a lot of time. And when he came back into the playoffs, he didn't look like a guy that had missed a lot of time. I agree with right? that. He looked healthy and comfortable. Chris Dunn looked like a guy that had mm-hmm. missed a lot of time.
1: The next move the Hawks did was the re-signing of Solomon Hill, which is a little bit of a surprise to me, but I get it because he just provided such quality wing depth. And like you and I said, like I, you would have never thought that starting the season last year, you'd be like, where will we be without Solomon Hill?
0: But dang it, where would we have been without Solomon Hill? <laughs> like seriously, like yeah, it's it's crazy to think about. And you know, I think uh, it's been mentioned before, but last year Solomon Hill was supposed to be there with tony snell mm-hmm. at the very end the, of the bench right the bench. yeah supposed to be veteran guys with rondo also at the end of the bench which then turned into lou yeah. right but the veteran guys that you weren't really expecting a lot out of them actually on the court right and not that you're expecting nothing out of them but they weren't supposed to have big roles well this year solomon hill one year i think it's the vet minimum right it's 2.3, yeah, 2.3 million so if it's not it's really close to that yeah and so he's gonna have you know hopefully actually yeah play that role where he's one of the last guys on the bench and sure when you have back-to-backs and some guys get the night off you know play some of those nights but mostly he'll be a good veteran presence yeah and sometimes you know the good veteran presence stuff sometimes it can be overrated because it's just a nice storyline right um, but when you're getting that guy as the very last guy on your team, it is actually helpful. My problem is when, you know, people add a guy to be a good veteran presence and he's like the eighth guy on your team. He's supposed to get minutes every night. Rajon Rondo. Yeah. Like that's, that's not that helpful. Right. Mm-mm. I mean, Mm-mm. it's, it has some strengths, but it has some clear weaknesses. Bringing back Solomon Hill for one year at really cheap. And he's not expected to get minutes. Well, now there's not a whole lot of weaknesses to it. We also was Ding at center, Jing, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, we didn't even get to him yet, but Gorgie Jang, who is a career backup center. Jing is a, a career backup center. You know, he's been in the league for, I don't know, probably close to 10 years now. Mm-hmm. He has a little bit more size to him than, uh, than Capella or especially Kongwu. He will be able to give us some nice solid backup center minutes while a Kongwu is missing the first half of the season. Oh god. And you know, hopefully he'll be able to give us a little bit bigger of a body for 10 minutes here or there in a playoff series. That was one of the areas where the uh, the Hawks had a little bit of a a hole on some roster building. Mm-hmm. You know, if mm-hmm. Mark Gasol obviously is there's you know, he's had a really good career. There's not a lot of people that are the exact player that Mark Gasol is. It would have been nice to add somebody like that, a veteran guy who would be okay playing backup or third center minutes in the regular season because they know they're going to play a role on a winning team in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. In, In this case, we had a little bit more to offer minutes wise because it's like, hey, for the first half of the season, you are the backup center. Whereas the rest of the season, maybe you're splitting second team minutes or, mm-hmm. or 13 minutes when the Kong really back. Um, but hopefully he can just, you know, be a stopgap for half the season as a backup center, which he's, you know, been, I mean, he's been a backup player for the last, I don't know, six years Yeah, playing, you know, 15, 18 minutes a night or something. He was a starter early in his career when he was young and, you know, there were, Trying to develop him and see how good he would be,
1: but it was from Minnesota and they were terrible, so
0: that kind of counts. But
1: and it counts, but you know, yeah, like it was. It became very apparent that he was not a a long term starting center. And just so y'all know, his stats. He's listed at six ten, but listed at two fifty, which he does not look two fifty. But he's one of those guys who's got the nine foot long arms, so he plays with a wingspan that's like a seven footer. So he plays functionally like a seven footer. He's about ten pounds heavier than Capella, which that stuff matters. We were trying to bang, and like I said, Marcus Saul was like my dream scenario to get. Same, but big same because because he can also pass and shoot, which means that he could play alongside Collins or Okongwu when they when Okongwu's healthy. If you want to play Okongwu with the four, which you can do that when you have a five that can stretch the floor and shoot and pass. But that's dream scenario. Uh, just so you know, just this is an interesting fact about him. Last year in Memphis, and between Memphis and San Antonio. Jing played 22 games for Memphis and shot 48% from the three-point line. 22 attempts a game, which is not a ton, but that's in backup minutes. So over, you know, 40 minutes, you project it. That's pretty good. And shot for his career for the last couple of seasons, the year before that 43% from three on 1.8 attempts. And the year before that with Minnesota, he shot 38% on 2.6 attempts. So he – He's a decent floor spacer. He actually has a very good rebounding rate, even though his rebound totals aren't high because he's only playing 17 to 15 minutes a game. You know, like you said, he's got a pretty good rebounding rate. Gives you a little bit of shot blocking, not a ton, but he's like, like you said, just a good backup center. And the thing that I like about him is, again, because he can shoot the ball just a little bit, you can play him with John Collins. You can play him if you wanted to go really big alongside Capella, I'm not sure that'd be great offensively, but he at least is a threat to hit a corner three. And you can play him if you need be alongside Gallinari or Okonwu because, so he's another piece that he seems to me, based on what I've seen to be versatile enough to fit with everybody in the Hawks front court,
0: which again, that matters. Like that matters. Yeah, And you know, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sold on some of the fit stuff, but it's not a concern to me very much because again, it's a one-year, $4 million deal, yeah, and it's really just filling a gap for while Wu is gone right? and to play a little role in the playoffs. Adding somebody like this means that you don't have to play someone like Bruno, Bruno Fernando in real minutes. Now, granted, we ship Bruno Fernando out, and nothing personal against Fernando. Sorry, he's the, the example Women of a boy. guy you don't want to play, but I'm sorry, he was the example of the guy you don't want to play. Yeah, it's it's just one of these little moves around the edges that is a nice move for, you know, team building and roster construction, right? Same thing I like, talk about Delon Wright. Delon yeah. Wright's not gonna be an all-star. He's not gonna start for the Hawks, but the way he fits in with this team as a good, solid, solid, you know, veteran player really makes a pretty good impact, actually. And I don't mean to make Ding sound like he's, you know, like a future six man of the year. I just
1: think because he has a skill set that in theory could fit alongside a lot of the Hawks bigs, it makes him a decent fit. So I don't mean to overhype him or oversell what he's bringing to the table. I, I don't at all. Real quickly, Scott, as we wrap up, how do our moves stack up against the rest of the East? So give us an off-season grade, first of all, and then tell us, tell me where you think the Hawks sit in the grand scheme of the Eastern Conference. So,
0: so I give the offseason grade, you know, an, an A or an A minus. Okay. Right. It's the only reason that, say a or a minus is because to me a is the top and hesitant to just blindly give that out. But in general, a lot of good moves, right? Yeah. And, you know, maybe even another move with a possible herder extension or something too, Mm -hmm. that that could impact that, but a very, very good off season, uh, the sort of the overall landscape, the East had a lot of other teams with pretty good off seasons too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it, it got better and and more competitive. Now, I think Milwaukee and Brooklyn are kind of the top tier in the East. Absolutely right? by themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think anybody made any moves to jump into that top tier, Mm-mm. right? But what did happen is you sort of had the next tier, which is Philly, who had been a top tier regular season team, but mm-hmm. also got beat by the Hawks in the playoffs. You know, so you had Philly, you had Atlanta, you had Boston, who had a down year last year, but mm-hmm. still with. Tatum and Brown and some other good players. They're still pick up
1: a point guard too this offseason.
0: Yeah, like they're still a good, you know, clear playoff caliber team and a team that could beat you in the playoffs that you don't Mm -hmm. want to play, right? Mm -hmm. Not like a team that might be a sacrificial eighth seed. So you got those teams, and then you also have the Knicks and the Heat Mm -hmm. and even the Bulls. The Knicks, who were sort of a fake playoff team last year (laughs) – They had no offense almost whatsoever, Mm -hmm. but they made some good moves. They maybe overpaid Fournier a little bit, certainly Mm -hmm. gave him a a good-sized contract for who he is. Also got Kimball Walker on the cheap, right? So if you look at the money they paid to Walker plus Fournier together, it's definitely not an overpay. Right. Right? So they got pretty decent value there, big picture, I think. And they got some offensive players to add right. to a team that didn't have a lot of offense. Now they got a little bit of, you know, the situation of a lot of players where this guy can offense, this guy can defense. Can defense. And anybody yeah. do both? Mm-hmm. Um, remains to mm-hmm. be seen. So, how that fits together, not a given, but sort of like what we said with the Hawks last year hey, just collect better players and then go figure out the fit later. So, and there's no world in which your place.
1: <laughs> Alfred Payton with Kimball Walker and your team gets worse. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's just not. You think yeah, about ex- it,
0: exactly. Yeah. They're a much deeper, more yeah. well-rounded team that what's their long-term future. I don't know. Still, like maybe around. not that great. Right. Mm-hmm. Like what are their title chances now or in the future? Mm-hmm. Still not that great, yep. but they're a team that could actually beat you in the playoffs not now in the thing. first round. Right. And so, another team somewhat similar to the bulls who didn't actually make the playoffs last year, but they made some moves too, right? They added uh, the older, lesser ball brother, Mm -hmm. right? But so they have him and Zach Levine and, uh, and Vooch for the whole year. Plus DeMar DeRozan now. Yeah. Then they added DeMar DeRozan. Uh, That's one that long-term as a contract, probably not too great, but, For this season and for next season, they actually have a pretty talented roster, right? They look like a real playoff team. Sort of the same thing as the Knicks, where is this team really going to compete for a title now or in the future? Nope. It's not looking likely, but they're a team where you play them in the playoffs and you actually have some matchups to worry about.
1: Because they're going
0: to – Yeah, they're going to score, exactly. They're going to score, yeah. They're going to score 120
1: points a game. They have a bunch of guys that get buckets. Yeah. A bunch of guys that get buckets. And you know what, though? I'll say this. If you're going to play for strength, go ahead and just get all the bucket getters you can and be really
0: good at that and build your team that way. Yeah, Build your team that and, way. And, you know, both for the Knicks and the Bulls, we'll see how it works out long term. I think long term, not so great. But for the next one or two seasons, they're going to have competitive, fun teams. Um, the other team there's another team long term. But short term, the Heat. Who yes. already had Bam and Jimmy? They re-signed Duncan Robinson to a lot of money. And they made some mm-hmm. some pretty big moves too, which I, I think have all officially gone through. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The NBA is weird about what stuff has or hasn't gone through, but they, they brought that big old booty from Toronto to come play uh-huh. point guard. Right. And they added um oh crap. PJ What's Tucker. his face from Milwaukee? PJ Tucker. Yeah. And PJ I asked Tucker. you this
1: question: like, can you think of two better fits for that team than Kyle Lowry and P.J. Tucker. I mean, you talk about, like, it's almost like the old Grizzlies, like the grit and grind mentality, guys that are just hard basketball players. I mean, get ready. Get the ice baths and Ben Gay ready after you play Miami. Because, dude, that's just going to be a meat grinder playing them, where they're just yeah. running plus hard-nosed physical defenders at you at
0: all five spots.
1: Um, It's just, man, that's yeah. going to be and-
0: – and when they, uh, I imagine they'll have a lot of lineups in, in the playoffs where you have Lowry and Duncan Robinson and Jimmy Butler and PJ Tucker and Bam, right? Mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. that scenario, you know, PJ Tucker is not a huge plus offensively, but he can stand in the corner and shoot threes, mm-hmm. right? So there's really nobody on that team offensively that's not going to be able to contribute in some way. Everybody's going to have their role. They should be a much better, more well-rounded offense than they were this past year. Mm -hmm. That was their real struggle. And then defensively, you know, (sighs) uh, Duncan Robinson isn't a plus defender, but all four of those other guys are really Mm -hmm. going to get after it. Mm -hmm. So at least for this next year or two years before some of those guys get old or the contracts really inflate and make it tough, Um, That's a good Miami team. I don't think I put them up in tier one with Milwaukee and Brooklyn, but I wouldn't be surprised if I felt a little differently or more questionable about that come playoff time. Right, and like
1: you said, I think that second tier is like the Hawks and Heat for sure. Maybe New York's in that next tier of teams. Um, Probably Boston, I think. Definitely Boston. And I think right below that, you're going to have Chicago being a team that gets in the playoffs, and I still think New York is in that bottom tier, even though I could see New York being another team that's a five seed, but that oh, and, nobody's really scared and, to play.
0: Yeah, and Philly would be in that that same group. Yes, Philly's with in that the, second group. I agree. Yeah. So, so anyway, what it means is you have this sort of second group that is, I don't know, four, six, seven teams mm-hmm. that are all teams that you could conceivably – be the third or fourth seed that gets the home court advantage, right? right? You could conceivably be a team that's actually winning in the playoffs. And that's, you know, it's deeper and tougher than the East has been in a while. So. And this is where, and I say this sincerely, the regular
1: season is going to matter this year because you do not want to be the the third or fourth seed. So if it's at all possible to get to that second seed so that you don't have to play Brooklyn, or uh, Milwaukee until the conference finals, that's important. Mm-hmm. And so a team like Brooklyn is not going to care about the regular season. They're going to rest their guys and say well, we'll beat whoever in the playoffs, more than likely. That's how a lot of those teams
0: approach it. If you're a team like the Hawks, you're saying, can we get to the two seed? Yeah, and we- and even a, team, even a team like Brooklyn this year might have to take it a little more seriously. Yeah. Because Brooklyn does not want to find themselves as the three or four seed somehow going to and Miami. be playing Miami mm-hmm. in the first round. Not to say that Brooklyn probably wouldn't still be favored in that, but right. that's not who you want to see in uh, the first uh. round. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be, it should be an interesting, uh, regular season for the East with a, a bunch of teams really competing for seeding all the way through, I think. But with our way tiller prediction, I think the
1: Hawks are a top five seed for sure. I mean, that's what we were last year. Um, I think there's a good likelihood that with normal health, which the Hawks did not have anywhere close to normal health last year, they're a top four seed. We may get the elite offense we thought we were going to have last year, this upcoming season, with Cam Reddish actually being ready, DeAndre Hunter, if he's healthy, good gosh. I told Scott, like, his ceiling might be, like, borderline all-NBA player. And I told you that I thought my comp for DeAndre Hunter after watching the playoffs was Chris Middleton. I think that's, Mm -hmm. like – And I think you confirmed, like, that's actually a really good comp for him. Like, all-star level player, not elite, but just really good and really good on both ends. And, man, if you get, like, a most improved player caliber, DeAndre Hunter this year,
0: look out. Look out. Yeah, and when he was playing this past season and when he was healthy, he was making a lot of those contested mid-range kind of Mm -hmm. shots, which, you know, bigger picture, the whole analytics discussion, like, those shots aren't for everybody right you don't want bad players taking those shots that's the real point of some of the analytics drive um but if you got a kevin durant or since only one team has a kevin durant it's not really that relevant but yeah or a a chris middleton or you know if deandre hunter can do some of that same kind of stuff as you know chris middleton which is making those contested shots that adds a big part of the offense i you know I'm high on DeAndre Hunter, too. I don't think that DeAndre Hunter this year is going to be as good as the Chris Middleton we just saw. Oh, no, 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 no. He's still a young player. That was prime of Chris Middleton's career. Mm -hmm. Just out there killing it on, you know, an NBA and winning gold medal. But, yeah, even if not quite that level of player, that type of player it still Mm -hmm. just makes you a better, more complete team, right? Because you'll hear the Kawhi Leonard comp, which both of us agree, like
1: that's too high for, I mean, Kawhi Leonard is one of the – yeah, Kawhi Leonard is one of the best defenders in the history of the NBA, and he's an elite offensive player, like elite, elite offensive player. His playoff splits this year are insane, absolutely insane. He was shooting 60% from the field for most of the playoffs, which yeah, is just absurd. Wild. Yeah, it's just absurd. Um, but I said that Chris Monroe comp I like a lot better, and I made the comp for Cam. His ceiling, I said, is like a Trevor Ariza-type player. Sorry, his comp is like a Trevor Ariza-type player. You know, you heard people saying his, his ceiling was Paul George. I thought that was too high. I don't think he's going to be that good, but – if you told me he's Trevor Rees or someone similar to that over the course of your career, would you take that? Yeah, you'd take that. And Trevor Rees is still playing in the NBA. And like I said, that type of player who's the fourth or fifth best player on a contender, you'll take that. And we had also talked about how Kevin Herter's best comp is probably Bogdan Bogdanovich at better defense, which cause they're literally, that's literally the player he is. And I think that that's a really good comp. And, you know, three years from now, you look up and Kevin Herter is Bogdanovich averaging, averaging 17 points a game playing way better defense he's given credit for because you know he's white and redheaded, so people think he's not an athlete which we've discussed and then he's fifth in the playoffs and blocks and you're like wait a minute that dude kind of athletic I think the Hawks have a lot to build around there when
0: you go watch like the compilation highlight of his playoff blocks too it's just like him blocking Giannis blocking Mm -hmm. Derek Rose (laughs) blocking you know all these guys with like MVPs right (laughs) and he's blocking jump shots yeah Well, he's okay. I mean, literally, you can watch back to back and it's like he blocks Derrick Rose. He blocks Embiid. He blocks Giannis. He blocks Middleton. He blocks Holiday. He blocks the fake all star from New York, uh, Randall, (laughs) you know, and it's just so literally like all these blocks. It's the playoffs, right? He's not out there, you know, having success against scrubs. Right. So, So for those of you
1: that weren't aware, Kevin Herter is like a sneaky good defender. And if you didn't know, you kind of – Scott and I have been talking about this like well in the last season. But we're just like, you know, Kevin Hurd has kind of gotten like sneaky good on defense, and then it was put on display in the playoffs, which is another reason his value just increased. And while the Hawks ultimately will probably choose him over Cam Reddish um, if it comes down to it. But I think with all those pieces in place – and we're giving you comps for what the Hawks could have, which is a bunch of really high end role players with a superstar. I'm telling you, the future is bright for this team. And Travis Slink gets an A-plus this offseason. He got an A last offseason. Well, maybe a B-plus because the Ronda move, But ever since he sabotaged our team in the 2019 offseason, he has come back strong.
0: Evan Turner, point guard of the future.
1: He has come back strong. And I'm just telling you, if this is how he's going to team build, I am really excited about the future of this team. All right, Scott, as always, we ran a bit long. Uh, My baby is still asleep, so we made it. I'm very happy. I'm going to go back and try to edit this down so people will actually listen to it. But I appreciate you jumping on here in the middle of a Saturday afternoon so we can get this done. As a Hawks fan, I'm excited and I can't wait to watch Summer League, which I don't say that often about, but I cannot wait to watch Sharif Cooper and Jalen Johnson Summer League, which I believe starts tomorrow for the Hawks. So if you want to get, if you want to see some really bad overactions, Tune in Summer League and watch people call people either call Street Cooper, either the next Trey Young or call him the next big bust because
0: both those will probably happen. Hey, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when people were very sure that Trey Young's first Summer League game meant that he was a long-term bust. When he shot an air ball in his first ever shot, it was great. Yeah. Oh, it's over. He's terrible. <laughs> He's terrible. Uh,
1: go, by the way, if you if you read our articles, go back and read Scott's article on the Title Run website and some of the some of the uh, former summer league MVPs that you've never heard of and why summer league is really not something to take long-term career yeah. projections
0: and, from. And some of the former actual NBA MVPs that had atrocious stat lines in yeah. summer league. Yeah. yeah. So it's summer worth, league. it's worth your time. All right,
1: Scott, thanks again, man. This is long, but hopefully people soak this up. The Hawks had a great off season and we are excited. So this has been Dave Bethay and Scott, the status assassin for the title run podcast. That's it for today. Scott to the people. Adios. Go honks, baby. Thanks for listening.